the kids are home today for MLK would have also been home today because of the snow. The girls are watching Swiss Family Robinson. From the 70s? Yeah. Have you seen this in recent years? Not in recent years. I remember it from when I was a kid. There's a disclaimer now before it. They don't agree with how the animals were treated, but they're still going to allow the movie to air as a point of discussion. How are the animals treated? Well, they like rope an elephant at one point. It seems like, I mean, I guess because they just, because they used them, they were on set or something, probably in cages. I don't know, but they're going to let it continue to air for discussion. For discussion. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 259. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. How you doing today? Doing good. Um, I did get invited to be a guest on another podcast because they knew we had one and they knew I had a microphone. So <laughs> the bar, the bar's low. Very low. <laughs> well, we've had a microphone for, for five years now, Reed. Yes, we have. And recorded into it almost 260 times now. So actually more than that, if you count some of the other shows. Uh, speaking of which, Health is the website. You can go there and find out about these other shows. And so you're listening to Touchpoint the show. You can go over to touchpoint.health and learn about this show, the episode you're listening to, Chris or I, any of the other shows on the network, those show hosts, topics that have been covered, things like that. While you're there, one small favor up, you'll notice in the uh, navigation, something called the TPS report. If you click on that, all it's going to do is ask for your email address. Give us your email address. We'll send you one email every week. That's all we're going to do. Monday mornings, you'll get an email from us, a few articles uh, for you to peruse as you start the week, and a couple of quick links to some industry, you know, education conferences, things like that, that uh, might be of interest. So do that. Rate, review, subscribe, certainly. And uh, we would certainly appreciate all the support. Reach out to us and I would love to hear from you. So we'll pause here for just one second and then be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you.
So, Reed, this is technically the third podcast of the new year. And the first two podcasts, we were talking about what other people's uh, predictions were about where things are headed. I thought before we get too far into the year, maybe we could stop and share with the audience what our thoughts are of where we're headed and what we can do about it. It's a great idea. As we roll around to this time, that's obviously what you say, right? It's all the predictions and tips. You know, ours, I think, will be useful, uh, certainly, and give you some kind of thought-provoking ideas. Before we actually jump into that, though, Reed, it always, predictions are always helpful if they're provided with some context. So the first part of this show, we could talk a little bit about a study that recently came out from Gerard that kind of shows the current landscape of what we're dealing with. It's called Dark Suits and White Coats, Healthcare's Acute Divide, and it outlines public perception of healthcare in the U.S. and some of the implications to the industry as well as the healthcare workforce. Yeah, and kind of the background of this, obviously, is that, you know, they talked the fact that, you know, we're here, here we are short of a few days being two years into this pandemic and that the industry is witnessing, uh, they call a meaningful gap in the public's perception regarding people providing care and the institutions of where it's actually delivered. So the people versus the organizations, if you will. The call out here is that clinicians in hospitals rem- uh, remain highly trusted. And we've talked about the previous you know, Gerard studies and different things like that, uh, again, over the last two years. And that's always been very high, right, is this trust piece. But there is a growing concern over how hospitals uh, prioritize between making money and serving patients that's where consumers' perception, you know, is wading into this a little bit. Again, still highly trusted, but where is kind of that divide, if you will, between the people and the organizations? One of the things that they also noticed in this study is that back in the early stages of the pandemic, obviously COVID was top of mind to everyone and was the biggest concern. But now the economy has overtaken the pandemic as the biggest concern. A lot of the focus of this survey is going to get into what is provider standing among the general public? Well, I mean, you just think about how this has changed since the beginning, right? I can remember when the first person in Tennessee got COVID, right? And, and they actually lived in a neighborhood kind of out where I do, kind of south. And I can remember, like, it was almost like, listen, listen we don't even be driving through that neighborhood. Well, I think we've gotten to a place now where the perception around all of it has changed uh, for a lot of folks, right? Now, I'm not saying for everyone. There's people that have been affected in very different ways. And so I think some of that goes into people's evaluation and kind of that, you know, internal computing that you do. So Gerard basically categorized it into two parts. One, a focus on the trust that we talked about. And the second is around our workforce. So let's talk about trust really quick, Reed. You mentioned, you know, that Gerard's been testing public trust over the course of the pandemic. In April of 2020, the first time they did that study, they found that 89% of adults trusted both doctors and nurses above everybody else, right? That's their, their place to go for healthcare information. Today, that number still hovers at or above 85%. Still very high, you know. Providers are still the most trusted voice. And I don't know that we really would have thought that would change necessarily or see that change, you know, even if it is a few points down. But it does say that that only half 
of the public strongly feel that hospitals are currently fulfilling their missions to care for patients. Mm -hmm. So fewer than four in 10 healthcare workers think their hospital handles patient-related financial issues well. Ooh, that's a pretty strong finding. They say here that half of the adults surveyed and more healthcare workers think healthcare in the U.S. is not equitable. It's not being delivered equitably. So there's financial issues and equality of care. That, to me, is pretty significant. I mean, half. That's a lot. One in two, I think, is what that means. Yeah, they, they talk in here also about that only 42% feel strongly that their preferred hospital is more focused on patients than on its business. And, and a lot of these folks cite the, you know, COVID costs, lack of transparency, you know, et cetera, is, is where that kind of lower trust comes from. The pandemic, you know, pushed us, you know, forward as far as like, you know, virtual and telehealth options and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think it also accelerated or pushed forward individuals in kind of their care uh, management, if you will. It's not that really much has changed. Uh, I would guess it's that, you know, people are becoming more acutely aware of it and questioning and asking and those types of things would be, would be just my two cents maybe. Now the second half of the study, and we encourage you to download it because it has a lot of information and we're kind of handling the high levels here is a focus on the workforce, the people that actually work within our organizations. They highlight here that hospitals need to address internal concerns and external competition in the race to recruit and retain talent. Because more than half of healthcare workers right now are experiencing significant burnout. Yeah, and specifically they call out nurses, women, and younger healthcare workers as those that are uh, more likely to be experiencing uh, significant burnout. Which I get. I mean, nurses and, and that frontline staff, I mean, uh, one, they're already short-staffed, and there already wasn't enough nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just, you know, you amp up the severity and, you know, kind of where things stand. Yeah, and nearly a third of healthcare workers also think that their employer does not value their mental health. So behavioral health, which we've talked about as being a, another pandemic in the making, so to speak, that's really impacting healthcare workers because they're feeling that, you know, they're being stressed and pulled to the edge and their mental health is being undervalued by their employers. Interesting. It's no wonder that more than one in 10 of healthcare workers are likely to leave the industry. You know, I wouldn't be surprised, number one, if that goes up, you know, as the days and weeks go on, really depending on kind of what we see through the spring, um, I think is going to be pretty telling. But also call out in here for health tech and travel nursing are desirable alternatives to working in the hospitals. And there's also about the public, you know, being concerned about about staffing. Again, I think just this stuff is becoming more visible because of the pandemic. I'm not saying some of it hasn't been uh, amplified. Again, I think it's becoming more visible because it's more applicable to all of us than probably it has been in a while. Where is it really coming to light, Reed, is that hospitals are being overwhelmed, particularly in their emergency departments, primary care, urgent care, those sorts of areas. So that's resulting in, unfortunately, bad experiences, longer wait times, lower access to care. Even though we have telehealth, we can't even get on a telehealth call. And in this latest phase of Omicron, we're even shutting down 
because of lack of resources, access to, you know, elective procedures in order to just manage through the, the pandemic. And this is what the third or fourth wave that we've done this. No wonder the public is becoming concerned, if not weary of the fact that, you know, our healthcare workers are overworked and the way we're delivering care is just needs a lot of change, which that, by the way, is a good lead into what we're going to talk about right after the break here, which is where we have to change. We've talked a lot, Reed, over the last couple of years about trends that we're seeing, but let's dig into some of our predictions. We'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Okay, so what does what does this mean for us? Um, I mean, it's a lot of the things you see in the news, right? As far as impact goes, so you, you know, like we just talked about, staffing shortages, um, you know, surges or waves or whatever we call them, you know, we're seeing that you know, don't come here for this, go, go over here, you know? So you think about like testing, for example, um, you know, that's almost, imp- you know, it's almost impossible to figure out where to go get tested. Everything's booked or, you know, they're, they're out of all the tests in the place, you know? So EDs, urgent cares, all the things that we already were dealing a little bit with, like if it was a high flu season or something like that, you know, we put out those graphics on like where to go for what, Again, this is just kind of exacerbated all of that, you know, uh, the overcrowding um, around those, you know, different kind of consumer entry points, if you will. Um, and like you mentioned, you know, we're even seeing some delays and have, we've seen this on and off, you know, the shutting off of services, you know, non-essential services and things like that. So we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what, what we can do as marketers and as digital marketers specifically, and then even get into some of our uh our predictions here in a little bit. First of all, let's talk about some of the foundational things. We know that these are things that digital marketing really does need in order to thrive. In order for us to meet the current needs of what our industry requires for where we're at in this unprecedented times, there's a couple of foundational things I think that is important for us to have. First of all, an integrated MarTech strategy, right, to ensure we're meeting those needs. Make sure you have all the the elements that you need. Of course, you need a good website or a customer experience platform. You need a CRM. You need multiple ways where you can actually reach people, email, SEM, social media. You kind of need all those different channels activated and integrated. And analytics and eventually a customer data platform, which you can see one of our previous episodes where we went in deep into what a CDP or customer data platform is. But all of these things are kind of integral part of a MarTech strategy. That is a really interesting one. And I think something that certainly we're going to see people spend more time on, and it even kind of leads into some of my, one of my predictions that I'll touch on here in a little bit, but certainly that's something again, that 
you know, integrated marketing stack that we have talked a lot about in years past, but again, because of this is becoming uh, something that we have to, we have to see and, and do. Uh, another one using analytics and measurement in doing so specifically around creation of this, you know, kind of voice of the customer. This is an interesting one. Again, we've talked about voice of the customer. We talked about it on the show, but we've talked about it as an industry, but really understanding what do we have available to us from uh, kind of these input data feeds, if you will. We've got to become more specific and, and you can even see some of the things uh, and some of the predictions, not that we're going to talk about necessarily, but I know, you know, Carrie Lykin, we had this in the TPS report, but Carrie Lykin over at Yext had her her predictions and one of them was around personalization, you know, and that kind of thing. Well, that's where a lot of this starts to bubble up. More, it's like the 360 degree voice of customer too, right? Understanding it well before they're on their pathway to care and actually understanding it after their care as well, right? If marketing mm-hmm. can play a role in that overall experience, and that involves getting getting closely aligned with market research, strategic planning, IT and IS to ensure that we're understanding the entire spectrum of care that is could be provided if you want to provide voice to customer that's what you need to do the third thing is fundamentally we need to look at our teams to ensure that we have the right people in our team and there's this whole concept read of you have to have strategists people that understand the larger implications of what's going on with that customer type that you're looking at, if it's a referring physician, if it's a new patient, if it's an existing patient, to be able to understand sort of that strategy, understand the breadth of their entire experience yeah. and their needs, etc. And then you have to have the people that have sort of that depth of understanding, very specialized roles within our teams, like the role of an SEO person or a UX UI person or a marketing analyst, for example. These are different components that we need to kind of flesh out our team right. And we've talked about this before, you know, historically, it was probably more accurate to describe us as advertising departments, you know, not marketing departments. And now we're moving more to that true marketing function. Therefore, you know, we're going to have different tools and, you know, different people on the team and needs and all that kind of stuff. So that kind of leads us to our predictions. We do have some ideas about where we feel things are, are, are headed, Reed. So let's start with yours. Yeah. So the first is, I think we'll actually see organizations start using less technology. Hmm. Not less technology as in we're going strictly back to typewriters, you know, or something like that. Maybe more moving away from point-based solutions. You know, I think we'll start seeing as organizations have made bigger and bigger bets on like their EHRs and how they want to, you know, kind of view the digital front door. So, you know, take Epic, for example, you know, they have my chart and, you know, maybe that's really the digital front door for a lot of organizations. Well, unless the technology that you're bringing on this, this Marcom technology really has, unless it's in the app orchard or it's, Mm -hmm. you know, you can layer it on top of, Epic, well, then it probably didn't make a lot of sense, right? So I think we'll start seeing some of the point-based solutions go away as even vendors have figured out like, hey, we need to spend more time fully developing and deploying our, you know, our platform. It can't just do one thing, right? You know, right? It's got to be a bigger solution, I guess. 
And I guess that really brings to bear the whole build versus buy approach, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Probably most organizations could build something that can do one thing really well. But when you start to talk about this broader application of your technology, then it becomes certainly something that you may want to consider a buy it off the shelf or there is someone that may have done it better, right? Right. Absolutely. What else? You know, the other, uh, the second of my three predictions here is, you know, really seeing, again, we've talked a little bit about this, marketing having a real seat around the table with quality and operations. Uh, So again, as we've moved from this advertising department to marketing department, what does that mean? You know, we're probably going to start having conversations and having to deploy ideas and solutions that uh, sometimes may have resided in the quality department because it's talking about, you know, experience, for example. So again, I think, you know, we'll see, and this goes back to, you know, the, the, we mentioned earlier about having the right people on the team. You know, these are probably different skill sets, different ideas, different team members even, or different roles. I mean, that, you know, become part of the team. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of mirrors where we're seeing that marketing is having the seat at more tables, right, around different types of strategies, et cetera. So clearly we become more of an integrated marketing function within the organization. Last one I'll point out, uh, not that there aren't others, but just in the interest of time, I think we start really seeing and having the opportunity to become product marketers. Hmm. And I'm talking to hospital marketing specifically. I know there's product marketers in healthcare, but you know, historically we've pretty much marketed an experience and uh, some services, brand, you know, things like that. But now, I, you know, I think we have some actual products. You know, as we move into kind of this virtual space, and we're trying to get people to you know adopt and, and look at certain things. So we're we're branding different tools and technologies and those types of things. And so a little bit of a different mindset, maybe a little bit of a different skill set even uh, amongst the team and you know thinking about how do you market a product, you know, versus a service. That makes a lot of sense. And the products are not necessarily things that are necessarily within the marketing suite, right? It's not like we're we're marketing a, a digital advertising campaign. We're marketing how to utilize EHRs more effectively, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that kind of leads a little bit into my predictions, Reed. I also have three here. And then a fourth one that we'll talk about in the interview. But the first one I have is I think we as digital marketers, we're going to develop the ability to better evaluate new tools, technologies, and channels. We're going to need to. We're going to become really good at creating business requirements and user requirements and turning those into processes to evaluate our technology better. Gone are going to be those days of, oh, well, that, you know, that license just renewed for this year. Just because we didn't keep mind of it, we're going to really sharpen our pencils and understand, do I have the right investments in the right tools and technologies to make sure things happen the right way? It kind of goes back to the using less technology piece. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just how are we being efficient how are we making sure what we have is is what we need? Uh, again, as we continue down this consumerism and even product marketing mindset, uh, that's going to be important. I'm going to be controversial on my second prediction here, but I think there is going to be a slow decline of the use of social media. Oh, man. We can, all, we can only hope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but both in paid and organic outreach, I think it's still important for reputation, community management. I mean, these are still ways to engage with our audiences. But I really think that, you know, using it for traditional kind of marketing 
tactics. Is part of it is because the social media platforms are under duress. They're starting to have a lot of scrutiny around what they do with privacy. Some people are trusting them less. They're changing their targeting. I was just reading some articles about using social media to recruit for clinical trials is going to kind of go away with Facebook moving away from targeting based on healthcare conditions. It's just going to lose effectiveness. I still think that, you know, maybe it'll start to be utilized more by patient experience people, the people that more manage that for reputation management and crisis management, those sorts of things. But I really feel a social media decline is going to happen. I think so. There's already fatigue, I think, over the last couple of years. Not that we weren't on it all the time, because I think we were, but I think just the nature of what's there, the sentiment, you know, online, things like that. I think people are getting tired of, um, to some extent. Um, it's just gotten, it's just gotten tiresome, you know, to some, just, (laughs) I don't even mean just in healthcare. I just mean in life, you know, with the way that people are using these platforms now and, and we'll see certainly, the decline or evolution of kind of the traditional social channels that we've, you know, really honed in on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Mm -hmm. I think there is some opportunities around stuff like YouTube still, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. as well as some of the newer platforms. There may be some, some different ways to use those. But again, I don't know that it's necessarily advertising, right? Yeah. To your point, I think it's more of a, community management, customer service, kind of however you want to frame that utilization. The last one is also maybe a little controversial hearing it from my mouth, but I think financial ROI, while still important, we're going to explore different ways that marketing use cases will extend to other things. Let's say branding and awareness is going to be important. While we deal with some of the ups and downs of how our care is being shifted and where where the capacity is, we might want to focus more on ensuring that we're bringing forward trust around our brand or communications. How can we as digital marketers support internal crisis and other communications more effectively? Experience, even navigation and utility. Uh, you know, all of these things that we're talking about are, are getting a little bit away from that traditional view of marketing as being an advertising shop. I think we're going to be moving more towards tracking different types of measurements instead of just financial ROI. Yeah, I think we're finally getting to a place where I'm not going to say it's easy or uh, it may be easier to get to ROI because the organization is is someone on board. And so I, I do think, again, back to the product side of the equation and the care delivery piece and the, you know things you mentioned, uh, there is some additional opportunity there, certainly. At the end of the day, yes, ROI is uh, still very important. And if if we can get that number and track it and you know feel good about the realness of that number, then then great. But I think there is some some other opportunity there as well. And one of those strategies is related to a term that I'm starting to use more frequently, which is called capacity marketing. For those of you who don't understand what that means, or maybe this is the first time you heard it, Capacity marketing is really combining marketing with this whole concept of capacity, understanding where we can market where there's the demand within our health system and be more a little bit more nimble about it. Stephen Magling, who's been on our show before, he's with Haley Sue. 
he and I had a chance to sit down and we talked a lot about this whole term of concept marketing. What we're going to do is we're going to go to that interview right after this break. And then Reed and I will be back to wrap up the show. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast. And today I am pleased to have on someone for the first time in 2022, but not new to the network. And that's Stephen Magling. Stephen, welcome back. Oh, I'm excited to be here, Chris. Thank you. I'm excited that you're here too. You're one of the first few uh, interviews we have for the new year. And we have some great, interesting conversations to be had today. But, you know, Stephen, there may be some people that are maybe new to the show, maybe have not heard about you and your background and the company you work for, maybe before we get into the conversation ahead, you could share a little bit about yourself and Haley Sue. Sure. Well, as, as you mentioned, Chris, my name is Stephen Megling, and I am Chief Strategy Officer for Haley Sue. We are an agency focused on digital marketing for health and wellness brands. And you have a lot of experience in the industry, Stephen. This isn't like something new. You and I have known each other for well over a decade now. We have, yes. We have. Yeah, I've I think I've been in healthcare for about 20 years now. Wow. And yes, I gosh, that makes me sound old. Um, but I, I would say, Chris, and, and I know with the topic of today in particular, it is such an exciting time to be in healthcare marketing. There's so much change, some challenging to be sure. But nonetheless, I think over the last couple of years since the pandemic, it's been really exciting and thrilling to watch our industry rise to the occasion and do all of the buzzwords that are now cliche, like pivot and have resilience, et cetera. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, I've, I've been in this uh, industry for a while now, and I love it. Yeah. And that's one thing that you and I know from our experience in healthcare. We're not really good as an industry to pivot quickly and to shift quickly. We always routinely kind of uh, allude to the fact that we're behind the times and it takes us a long time to get things done. But I would agree with you that over the last 20, it's almost now 24 months, right? Almost two years now since we've been in the pandemic, that our marketing and communications departments have been able to pivot dramatically to kind of address the current state throughout the various different waves of the of the pandemic. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And and in fact, you know, in conversations with our contemporaries and colleagues in the in the community, I think that's been the resounding theme, which is healthcare has always been picked on, especially in the marketing space, as being a little slow to respond, not quite as up to trend as other categories, but geez, when hospitals had to close to address the early phases of the COVID pandemic, and we suddenly set up telehealth, we suddenly set up new command centers. And I think within the hospital community, marketers, operational leaders, physician leaders all began working together in a much more unified way than ever before. And everybody that I've talked to said, I hope that doesn't, we don't go back to the old ways when this pandemic is over. Yeah, that certainly is something that has been a very positive trend. Marketing has been at more tables, so to speak, with with 
operational leaders, with clinical leaders throughout the pandemic, and really applying all of our skill sets and our capabilities to kind of help serve the current needs. And, and I think that's that's a really positive outcome for that, that I'm seeing from the last two years. But I have to say, Stephen, as we look at where we're at today, we're recording this in early January of 2022, we're kind of, again, at this point where we're now facing other challenges as a system, as uh, organizations across the industry. Some of the things that I, I've noticed that, we, that we're, we're keeping track of, Reed and I even talked about, our workforce is overstressed and they're very, uh, so a lot of them are, are burnt out and they're actively looking for careers outside of the industry. That's causing us to react to a lot of things. Plus with Omicron, the latest surge in the pandemic, more and more of our uh, workforce is out because they're sick, they're Mm -hmm. quarantining at home and that sort of thing. What are you seeing as like kind of like where we're at today? Because it always helps to understand where we're at today before we talk about where we need to go. Yeah, just to put a kind of timestamp on this conversation, I would say one of the, the, probably the, the, the biggest concern point for the hospital community is, is the, the staff shortages. And obviously, there's a lot of reasons for that, both with people being out sick, people leaving the workforce. Uh, You mentioned the burned out culture. I mean, we're talking about serious compassion fatigue among our healthcare community, marketers and clinical leaders, front lines, people, everybody. I kind of look at that piece, which is so huge, Chris, as part of this kind of continuation of what I would call aftershocks of the initial pandemic. So we have these kind of ripple effects of of other consequences as associated with the pandemic, with the staff shortages being an obvious one. And and I don't know if you're hearing this or seeing this in your health system, but supply chain shortages are actually becoming a drag on the end marketing strategies for a lot of our clients these days. At the early stages, supply chain was more around PPE and clinical Mm -hmm. tools, but now it's it's impacting various other aspects of our organization. So what are you hearing from some of your clients? Well, let me just preface this by saying I'm not sure what the long-term ramifications of supply chain shortages are going to be for healthcare. But I know in particular, we have one client who had been planning to launch a, a very prestigious, brand new service line, you know, a true center of excellence, but they've had to hold off because the core technology used to associate to diagnose where the disease conditions has been stuck in the middle of the ocean. Wow. Now that's just one client out of 15 in our roster, but I keep thinking, is this what we need to anticipate next? Thankfully, as we go into 2022, there's there's signs of hope that things will normalize a bit and smooth out. But I think these aftershocks are going to continue with us for a while. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. There are so many, so many things that are kind of coming together. It's almost like a, this is a trite saying. It's almost like a perfect storm, mm-hmm. where now we suddenly have to, as marketing communications professionals, kind of redefine ourselves to figure out what's our next best path forward. Do you have some ideas around what are some of the things that you would suggest to marketing communications departments around what they should be focusing on? I think we're going to tap into this idea of capacity marketing in a minute. But one other trend and prediction that trend slash prediction, depending on how you look at it, that we are mindful of at Haley Sue, which is this what we call a return to purpose in healthcare. 
Basically, as we, as you as see this within your health system, and this is true, I think, for every health system right now, everybody is burned out, everybody is tired, everybody is threadbare. And there's been so much upheaval, divisiveness, social unrest, all of this kind of proliferation across the country. One of the things that we're seeing is, is health systems coming together on their own and saying, we're going to return to why we're here. We're going to return to our mission. We're going to return to our values, you know, our belief system, why we show up each day. It's an opportunity to, to heal wounds. And I think there are deep wounds across the country and in different communities, depending on how people felt about certain mandates, whether it's masks or vaccines or otherwise. And for us, looking at the sense of return to purpose is all of us being able to put our hands together again and saying, okay, we can agree to agree we're here to care for our communities and our patients. This is why we got into healthcare in the first place. And I think it'll be a really noble, important step in the process of the overall healing that I think our industry needs to have. That is so profound if you think about that, Stephen. I mean, throughout all of this pandemic, I think that health systems, hospitals, and healthcare workers all have had a unique place in our society and our communities. And oftentimes the trust is still there with, with many of us. But I I know that, you know, with hospitals and, and health systems, that, that trust is starting to wear off a little bit. And people are starting to look at some of the not so pretty parts of what we're doing there. There's a, a lot of focus on yeah, health equity and uh, confusion about, you know, where to go for care and those sorts of things. And that cascades into the way they, they perceive the brand of a health system. And you couple that with the turmoils of the workforce together, that sense of purpose it has a meaningful impact on what we, what we can do as those stewards of the hospital brand. And one last point on the return to purpose, I would just say, we're actually seeing this with many of our clients now who are recommitting to telling their own brand story, first and foremost, I might add, to those internal audiences. I mean, that's that's who we need to connect with first, but then allowing those brand stories to ripple out into those communities as a way for us to remind ourselves of what is important, what is, what is special. And you know, again, I've been in healthcare now for 20 years, and I have a great and abiding appreciation for the work that people do each day coming into a hospital or a clinic. And these are the people who really make up our, the pillars of our communities, and they've had a really, really tough couple years. So what can we do collectively together to just to acknowledge our core beliefs that we can all hopefully align with, and then allowing that to hopefully set a, a better path forward? I love that. That feels so, so right. So dead on. So thank you for sharing that. The other thing, though, that I think that you and I wanted to talk about today is this concept of capacity marketing. Now, that's an interesting concept. And I think you and I first started to talk about this at one of your campfire sessions back in December. That's correct. So share with us what your definition of capacity marketing is, and then maybe I can weave in my thoughts as well as we go. Well, Chris, thank you for asking. Yeah, so you and I really kind of linked in on this idea of capacity marketing. So I think historically, if we're talking to an audience on this podcast of people who work within the health healthcare industry or health system in particular, you know, we have a, a working definition of what capacity means, which is how much capacity does a service line department clinic provider have to see patients? 
And historically, we've always been monitoring that because we don't want to drive patients to a service that has no capacity. So given what we talked about a few minutes ago of staff shortages and spikes in in COVID variant cases, et cetera, we really began looking at Haley Sue at the idea of, well, we know we're going to have blips in the road. We know we're going to have these these peaks and valleys. We know that we're going to have some workforce shortages. How do we think better with our clients to be a little bit more real time and a little bit more agile in the response to what marketing campaigns and messages we put in the marketplace? And I really began thinking about capacity marketing is really the the alignment between a health system capacity, uh, a patient need, and and marketing itself, and maybe making sure that that intersection is as aligned as possible. The healthcare definition of capacity is about ensuring you have the right people to deliver the right care at the right time, which, by the way, sounds a lot like a marketing message, right? <laughs> if you think about that, right? But as we go through like um, workforce shortages or you know, even some hospitals right now are temporarily halting again elective procedures, we have to become very nimble with being able to say we have to you know, maybe stop these elective procedures for a few weeks while we're dealing with the latest surge. How do we message that appropriately? Now, in the past, it was more of, well, let's just shut down all the advertising for, you know, that leads to that. But it's a little bit different than that now, right? Hopefully so. I think that would, <laughs> that might have been version, version 1.0 of the process. Well, I do think that there is obviously a data conversation to be had to the extent that you have access to real-time data to help monitor not only your marketing campaigns, but what's happening within your your health system is going to be essential. Now, I understand that that's a journey often, not a destination, you know, to be able to have that kind of data to, to tell the right stories. But I also think it goes back to something we talked about a few minutes ago, which is the cross-collaboration among interdepartmental uh, stakeholders. So day-to-day, week-to-week, where do we have capacity? Which floor of the hospital are all the nurses calling in sick with COVID? Where can we maybe perhaps encourage people to go seek care at a different city location? You know, if we have a, we have a surge in, in a particular part of our communities, at a, maybe a version 2.0 or 3.0 level, capacity marketing is really using data and insights from just con- continuously having conversations with stakeholders to know where is there an opportunity for us to route care? Where can the system manage and maintain capacity for patient encounters? Because we've got to keep the lights on. We, we've got to re-encourage people to get back in the habit of coming back in for care again, because people got out of that habit in the early days of the pandemic. So I think there's a data story to be told there, and also the continuing that cross departmental collaboration. Yeah, I think those two things are very important. Let me drive in a little bit on the data point here, because what you're talking about here is operational data, right? Understanding like which clinics are having long wait times if they're urgent care clinics, or, you know, what primary care facilities have capacity to take on maybe patients wanting to be screened for, you know, regular care and or if they're having COVID-like symptoms, should they show up at the ED versus the urgent care versus primary care? Having a, kind of a pulse on all of that data, many organizations that are, are large and complex 
also struggle with that. But those are completely new people across the table from us, the virtual table, I guess, in this day and age, right? Across that virtual table that we're talking to to get that information to help shift the way we're communicating to our audiences. It is. It is. And, you know, as I as we were mentioning before, we've heard from so many of our clients and other members of the healthcare marketing community how much better internal communications has gotten by necessity. And I, th- I think capacity marketing can benefit from those new muscles that we've grown and new, new ways of connecting with our, our colleagues. Getting a, a more nuanced sense of where the capacity actually is, what will provide a better experience. I think also that plays really heavily into this, Stephen, is that those Google reviews and all those things that people are saying, that's kind of a pulse check, right? We don't even have to worry about experience measures downstream from like cap scores. We can use, if people are starting to, uh, I saw this happen myself, right, within my health system, people were starting to talk about the long wait times at this particular emergency department. That's a, I guess it was a leading indicator, right? Not a lagging indicator of like, there could be a potential experience problem at this facility. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because that insight, Chris, that you just shared about seeing what real-time feedback is on reviews and social media is a great way for the marketer to wave his or her hand and say, hey, guys, hey, team, I think we might have an issue here. Let's dial into it and see if we can kind of route care differently, change up our, our, our marketing messaging uh, to promote something else or to help people navigate to a better line of care where the wait, for example, isn't as long. Just that piece alone, as we do that in marketing, we are ensuring and helping to bolster our organizations. I mean, that is real-time customer engagement in essence. That type of skill is something that happens in other industries pretty easily. If you think about consumer packaged goods or even Amazon, imagine how Amazon handles capacity marketing, right? To them, it's like if it's not in this particular warehouse, it goes to this other warehouse. They have a very complex infrastructure to support that. And in fact, the whole premise of their marketing was based around like understanding where their inventory was. For health systems and hospitals, it's been kind of a reverse. We're kind of backing into this model. And so it's not a, a learned muscle memory for us. It's something that actually can dramatically impact what we actually are then going to say, because that's the next piece of the equation is capacity marketing is not necessarily about saying, don't come to the emergency department. Our communications and marketing now has to become a little bit more nuanced. Absolutely. More nuanced, more precise, whether that precision is you're looking for, you know, hey, customer, you're looking for a new primary care provider. This one has no appointments, but let's connect you with one in your area who can see you today, tomorrow, et cetera. And it's that kind of precision and that kind of one-to-one relationship building that I think really makes the difference of the patient experience and ultimately benefits the health system itself. At, at our health system, we've been engaged in what, what we're calling capacity communications, right? Which is similar to this, where we're focusing on three major touch points that are really big drivers for people in this day and age when they're looking to get care in person, urgent cares, EDs, and primary care clinics, all of which are struggling with their unique capacity challenges. And so some of the things that we've looked at was how do we start to educate people about where is the right place to seek care? If you want to have a COVID test, for example, you think you have COVID, 
and you're asymptomatic as opposed to symptomatic, the answer to that is different, dramatically different. And so we have to start now to educate people. And we're doing that through a series of content marketing initiatives, through creating information through social media, et cetera, trying to reach all these different touch points. In addition, if they're searching for ED online, for example, many times when people search for an emergency department in their area, they're on their path to care. They don't even come to our website. So now what we're doing is we're actually figuring out how to cascade information to that Google My Business listing, because that's probably the the more pertinent thing to them in their path to care, so to speak. It's becoming very nuanced in how we're messaging to our audiences and what channels we're using. I suppose that organizations that have like CRM and have the ability to understand that customer mindset at that level can be much more adept at that. But I suspect that most organizations don't have their CRM connected to operational data. I think that's a good assessment. Yes. Although I think I'm sure you'd love to hear from members of your community who have it dialed in. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. As we kind of look at this concept of capacity marketing, what are some advice you can give to marketing communications departments to be a little bit more, you know, adept at that? I know it's going to be different, right? Depending on where you're at and where your capacity is, it's unique to each individual health system. But what are some, maybe some guidance you can give them? A couple things, but I just want to acknowledge what, what, what our conversation has been, which is, you know, the key word here is nuance real time, you know, to the extent that you have operational data, get it to the extent that you can connect with your stakeholders internally to get just their, their day-to-day feedback on, on what's working and, and where the stress points are in the system. But one thing I would add to add to your arsenal of capacity marketing strategies is to build out key service line campaigns at different percentage levels of readiness. Hmm. Okay, so let me just unpack this and I'll be brief. So typically for a health system, you might have three to four or more service line campaigns that you would plan to to create and and publish and run throughout the course of a fiscal calendar year. Mm -hmm. Well, given that we have supply chain shortages and nursing shortages, and who knows what the next variant is going to be and when it's going to drop, what we're advising our clients to do is build out their service line campaigns in advance, maybe not take them to 100% completion. For example, take to 70% completion, Mm -hmm. take up to 80%. And that way, the marketing team has the opportunity to quickly spin up the next campaign because that one can go in the marketplace because that one has capacity, turn the volume down on the current campaign because it doesn't have capacity. And then you still have a toolkit of other service line marketing initiatives that can get to market in relatively quick fashion based on need. I like that. I like that. If you think about that, it's like you're almost creating a capacity readiness metric across all your marketing activities and your communications activities for that matter, right? And so you can throttle that. It's I could imagine that eventually, you know, when we come out of this, we'll probably be very sophisticated at doing capacity marketing. But right now I could just in my mind envision this like little, you know, dial dashboard where you dial things up and dial things back depending on on what we know. One day that will be automated, Stephen. (laughs) (laughs) 
all, all, all the tech companies are promising us. Oh, exactly. Press this button. You won't have to do a thing. <laughs> I love it though. I'm ready for it. The capacity readiness metric. I'm ready. Oh, for wow. It. Wow. That's awesome. Steve, this has been a great conversation. And I know people listening and probably want to carry on this conversation with you or people at, at Haley Sue. What's the best way for them to kind of connect with you online? Sure. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn at Stephen Megling, and my last name is spelled M-O-E-G-L-I-N-G. Pronounced Megling, looks like Mogling. And then our firm's name, we have a great name, but there's a French name in there, so I'll spell it out. It's Haley Sue, H-A-I-L-E-Y-S-A-U-L-T.com. Awesome. And you know, we're going to link to that in the show notes. Stephen, thanks again for sharing some of your great thoughts, ideas, and and letting us kind of riff a little further on this concept of capacity marketing. I'm sure it'll become part of our lexicon this year. <laughs> so That's what we need in healthcare marketing is more lexicon. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Stephen, thanks again. And um, I really appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Special thanks to Stephen for coming back on the show. Uh, certainly appreciate him and uh, excited to have him back on here in the new year. Plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you happen to listen. Sign up for the TPS report while you're over there. Uh, that will give you links to all the upcoming conferences as well as those articles to start your week. Uh, let's do a couple of recommendations before we wrap up. Absolutely, Reed. I am going to recommend uh, something that I just got a, a newer version of for the holidays, and uh, I really like it. And that's my Fitbit 5. Now, I'm, I don't want to stir up the debate about you know the differences between Apple iWatch versus Fitbit or other kinds of health tracking devices. I'm a Fitbit person. I just I have locked into that environment. I like it particularly because it measures my sleep, which is something I'm really, you know, I'm really cognizant of. I just recently got the Fitbit 5. Now, the Fitbit 5 is is a significant upgrade from one of the earlier Fitbits. I was on a Charge 3, and now I'm on a Charge 5. The one thing I like about it, it still has that small form factor. It doesn't look like a big watch. It's more of like a little band that can give you that information. The display now is color, so that's kind of cool, right? Oh. So, so you can you can you can see it better, particularly when you're out like riding your bike or what have you, and you glance at your watch. You can really get that information very quickly. The other thing about it is, is the Charge Five can track over twenty different workout types, from cycling to yoga, and it can actually detect based on what you're doing. It predicts what type of activity that you're doing. So if I'm doing some interval training or what have you, it knows and it actually tracks that. And then when you go to like, you know, sync it up with your with your app, it verifies if that's the kind of exercise that you did. I really like this Fitbit Charge 5. Um, it was a nice upgrade for me. Obviously, it, it gives you all the other things that a Fitbit can do. That's going to be my recommendation. If you're looking to, maybe you're a Fitbit person and you want to upgrade or you want to try the different types of uh, you know tracking device or what have you, I'm strongly going to recommend the Fitbit Charge 5. Nice. I've not had a Fitbit in years. I think I had the original one. That was it. Um, and I've done the Apple Watch and that kind of stuff. But I may have to, I may have to check that out. That sounds, uh, sounds very cool. All right, I'm going to recommend uh, a podcast. This one is not, you know, healthcare specific or, you know, whatever, but a couple of comedians that I think are really funny. 
Andrew Stanley and Aaron Chewing. People may recognize, well, one or both of them from some of the online videos and stuff like that. They're, they're kind of fun. But the podcast is called No Worries If Not. And so the, the, the concept is, and it even says like, hey, sorry to bother you. Do you have a second to listen to this podcast? No worries if not. You know, so that's their whole shtick, right? It's like, hey, listen, if it's not a big inconvenience, you know, could you listen to our podcast? But they're they're great. They're funny. It's just an easy listen. You know, they usually have a guest on and they've had a variety of people uh, that are from a Pilates instructor to an insurance agent to, you know, somebody that's kind of like Steve Irwin and is making a name, you know, going <laughs> oh, really? around. Oh, wow. it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. Country musicians, you know, et cetera. So, um I think they even had Santa Claus on, but anyway, they're funny and it's just, I don't know. It's just kind of a, an easy listen. So if you've got a commute and uh, need another podcast to kind of toss into the hopper, uh, I'd recommend, uh, no worries. If not, I will definitely have to download that. Um, I'm always looking for something a little fun to listen to and something a little bit lighter than some of the topics that I, I typically listen to on the podcast. So that's yeah. a good recommendation, Reed. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. I uh, would really appreciate it if uh, you'd spread the good word. Uh, let some friends and family know. Uh, smash that subscribe button. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not really a thing. Well, I mean, I guess it's a thing. You could do it on here too. <laughs> but there's no notification bell, so I don't know what to do for that part. But uh, we would certainly appreciate the uh, the support. Reach out to Chris or I. Usually easiest to find us on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, what you like, what uh, who you'd like to see on the show, topics covered, all that kind of fun stuff. So, Chris Boyer, I'm Luke Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.